The book of 2 Corinthians is a fascinating book. I, for one, love this book. Yes, there's only 13 chapters, but man, it's loaded from top to bottom. And um, it's, it's just a book that I think will be a blessing to us. I've asked you to create a notebook. When we speak his word, when we say in Jesus' name, when we speak his word, we implement his power as a source of strength and victory for us. So we shouldn't be defeated. I'm not saying that we don't have bad moments or bad days. But we shouldn't just go around beat down all the time naming the name of Jesus. Because that's a bad look and it's inconsistent with who he is. Amen? We're bigger than this. We're better than this. Because of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, we should be victorious. We should be able to override our problems, our struggles, our challenges, we should be victorious. And it comes through knowing God's word. I was telling Curtis in Sunday school this morning that uh, one of the problems, I think, is that we have two kinds of, maybe, uh, I think I told him, two kinds of false Christianity today. We have the Hollywood Christianity, which is just do your own thing. And still say you're saved. And, uh, and then we have, you know, my term that I coined, Frankenfaith, which is just people that actually do come to church and, and, and do try to participate in traditional Christianity. But they, in the process, add all this other stuff into the mix. You know, they're making seafood gumbo. And they're just throwing everything in it. Oh, man, this will add some little spice. This will be cool. This will taste good. Oh, man, this will kill. You should taste this. Man, I put my foot in it. This was really great. And it, and it really, it, it's not Christianity at all. It's, it's quotes from Grandma Amos. It's quotes from your Uncle Jesse. It's quotes from your mother and her mother. It's quotes, quotes from your neighbor down the street. It's quotes from your pastor from three years, three, three generations ago, three terms ago. It's stuff that you've heard on Oprah. It's all kind of garbage. And then we combine all that, and we call it Christianity. And it's still wrong. And so we, as believers, we really need to study the Word of God for ourselves. Don't even take my word for it. I, I told the class this morning, I would love it if more people challenged what I said. I would love it if more people say, you know what, hey, that, what you said sounded good, but hey, can you give me the verse? Where can I find that at? Or Pastor Will, that was, that was pretty cool. I like that. Or text me. Say, you know, I like that. You know, or send me an email. Say, I like what you said, but what, what scripture can I use to support that? I was discussing that with some kids in school. I was discussing that with some people at work. I was discussing that with a neighbor down the street. And I need to know where to find it because I want to show them that in black and white. We should be more about that. And I'm not saying to go Jehovah Witness on people, but I'm saying you really need to learn the word so that you have more to say. We were quoting 2 Peter 3.15 that says, you should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. When people ask you, you should be able to defend the hope that lies in you, your faith, who you are, what you stand for. Amen? So I think that learning the word is, is not an option. It's, it's an obligation for every believer who names the name of Christ. So 2 Corinthians 1, let me just read a couple verses, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll let you go. We won't keep you very long. We had a long day yesterday, and I appreciate 
your patience and your faithfulness. So here's what it says, New American Standard. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Acacia. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's enough right there. Boy, oh boy. The word apostle in the Greek means apostolos. It's a Greek word that literally means one who's sent forth. An apostle was sent forth by Jesus Christ. I won't get into all my little arguments and pet peeves about people that call themselves apostles today. I mean, because the, the fact of the matter is, as far as I'm concerned, there are only 12 apostles. People that, people that ascribe the title apostles today to me are taking liberties. And I won't call them, I won't condemn them from the standpoint that I think it's um, going to be a heaven or hell consequence. But I do think it, it's, it suggests a form of arrogance, a form of self-conceit to assume this title when uh, the specifications in Scripture was one who was sent by God, one who had actually seen the Lord Jesus Christ, and one who was chosen by him for that purpose. Now, there are people today that are sent by God. Ministers are sent. Missionaries are sent. Evangelists are sent. Teachers are sent. But apostles was a special office in my opinion. And Paul deserved that office. You say, but Pastor Will, Paul never hung out. Paul ain't mentioned in the four Gospels. Paul didn't walk with Jesus. Paul didn't evangelize with Jesus. You're right. But he did see Jesus in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. And that was his qualifier. Acts 9. While on the road to Damascus, the Lord encountered Paul encountered the Lord. His name was Saul at the time. It wasn't even Paul yet. It was Saul. And the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why persecuted thou me? And um, you know the story. Saul didn't even know who the Lord was. He thought all that he was doing in the name of Judaism was God's work. See how people can have a, a good intention, a good motive, but a bad action. He meant well, but it came out poorly. He, he thought he was doing good, but he was doing bad. He didn't actually, as far as we can tell, threw stones, throw stones at Stephen. But we know that he held the coats of those that were, in fact, stoning Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Check it out on your free time. Great story. But the point that I'm making is, is that Sometimes even good intentions can have bad consequences. It's not just having a good idea. We need to have God ideas. It has to come from his word, from his spirit, from his power. Not just something that we, you know, concoct in our mind and think that it's okay. Paul was going around killing Christians. He was going around killing people that he would soon be one of. And I just think that using the word apostle, self-ascribed, self-appointed, self 
self-proclaimed apostle. It's just a bad look. It's just not something that we should do. And I don't think we should be clamoring over any titles. It ain't just apostles. Bishop, evangelist, overseer. I mean, to me, titles are way, way unnecessary. It's not who you're called. It's who you are. It's who you are. And, and, and I'm very comfortable just calling me Brother Will. Brother is fine. Sister is fine. If you have other accomplishments and initials behind your last name that you've earned, okay, I'm down with that. If you, if you, but, but at the end of the day, when, when I guarantee you when we stand before God, he ain't going to be saying, Dr. Reverend Bishop Jones, step up. It's your turn. <laughs> I mean, so I'm not, I, I'm not impressed with titles, and I don't think God is impressed with titles. Matter of fact, I don't see any of the other apostles prefacing their reference to other apostles by saying, and Paul said, oh, yeah, an apostle Peter told me the other day. <laughs> Paul said, Pete said, here's, what it went, here's how it went down. Paul said, yeah, and I saw Pete the other day, or, or me and Petey was talking. <laughs> I mean, we trip over this. The Bible doesn't trip over it. Amen? The Bible doesn't trip over it. We trip over it. I just love Paul's humility. We studied the book of James. James never referred to himself as the brother of Jesus. He wasn't name dropping. It's a form of pride. It's a form of arrogance. And I think that we as believers should be about humility. We should be about servanthood. Let somebody else blow your horn. If you all that, then let somebody else say it. It just seems so self I, You know, when people start bragging about themselves, I cringe. I, I don't want to hear it. I, I feel almost embarrassed for them. Really, dude? Really? You, you, you got to say that about yourself? Really? I mean, we, we should always be humble and let someone else invite us to the head of the table. The Bible says if you go sit at the head of the table... It's in the Gospels. You go sit at the head of the table, and someone else comes in who is higher up than you, and then the host has to ask you to move for them to sit there. You're going to be embarrassed. He says, sit at the foot, sit at the back, and let somebody move you to the front. Now, don't sit in the back of the church. <laughs> he says, sit at, the, sit at the foot of the table. And then if the host chooses to move you to the head of the table, let him move you up. Amen? Good advice. It's always better if, if you've done something good, let someone else, if your praises need to be tooted, if your horn need to be tooted, let someone else do it. Because God loves humility, loves servanthood. And we've just been doing a knockout job studying Rebecca and just her, her spirit, her humility, her willingness to serve. I just study Rebecca. Even if you can't come to Sunday school, I recognize that 9 o'clock could be challenging for some of us. So if you can't come to Sunday school from 9 to 10, at least read Genesis 24 and 25, and you'll see this portrait of this beautiful woman named Rebecca. And she, she, she has this spirit, that one that, that reminds me of, of Paul's his spirit, just... Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church which is at Corinth, and all the saints are at grace and peace from God. And just just that, that salutation, that, that introduction. Let me just tell you something else. I'm almost done. Give me a couple minutes. 
Grace and peace. Now, give me just nine more minutes. Grace and peace. Do a study. Do a study, ladies and gentlemen, on grace and peace in the Scripture. And you will always, well, let me just say, I think, because I've done a study, but just in case you're reading a different translation, I want you to think, oh, boy, he lied in the pulpit. I think you will always find that grace precedes peace. And I'll tell you why. Paul has this very distinct order in his salutations, in his greetings. Grace in the Greek is a word that means charis or charis, from which we get our word in the English, charisma. And it means just pleasant. It means abundant. It means just merciful. It's an incredible word in which the Greeks, in spite of the fact that their vocabulary trumped ours, in spite of the fact that they had more letters in their alphabet than we do, they didn't even actually have a word for grace. Love was so powerful, it took four words for them to describe it. In the Greek, they had agape, storge, phileo, and, um, and eros. They had four words to describe love because one wasn't enough. In, in the Greek for grace, it's just a, an amazing word, charis, and it was, it was basically considered the highest word, the highest form of compliment or the highest form of praise that one could use, charis. Charis, it means grace. And it is something that was reserved primarily, listen, to describe to a deity. In our case, God the Father. Grace, God's grace be on you. Grace is even, grace is even beyond, grace is even beyond mercy. Because grace actually is it's like getting what you don't deserve and not getting what you do deserve it's it's one thing to commit a crime and have your sentence commuted that means you don't have to serve it your record is expunged the crime has been eradicated and you are free and clear. You can just walk right out of court. That's mercy, especially if you were guilty. It's really if you were guilty. If you did it, <laughs> you did it, and you walk out, that's, that's really mercy. The judge, thank you, Your Honor, <laughs> you did it. But grace is a step further. Grace doesn't just excuse you of the impropriety or excuse you of the wrongdoing. Grace also provides for you a reward or gives you additional blessings and favor that you weren't even entitled to. Any, any, any person that was convicted or indicted, we'll say, of a capital crime that carried with it the death sentence would just be happy enough to walk out of the court a free man. <laughs> I'm just glad to be free. Ain't got no job. Ain't got no house. Ain't got no, got to try to get a ride to a hotel or something. I'll sleep under a bridge if I'm free of murder when I was getting ready to get electrocuted. Right? You'd sleep outside for a while. But that's not grace. Grace is you walk out a free man 
and a limo picks you up, takes you to your 7,000 square foot mansion, servants come out to the door to open the car, escort you in, and you just treat it like a king or a queen. That's grace. And that's what God gives us. He, he, he commutes our sentence. He expunges our sentence. He gives us complete clemency from the, the punishment that we deserve and then showers us with favor and blessings. That's grace. So if you don't learn nothing else today, you've learned that God has been better to us than we could ever be to ourselves. We couldn't do better if we won the lotto. I mean, when it was the big lotto. We couldn't do better. We couldn't do better if we were Jared Goff or any of those guys in the draft that was picked one, two, three, four. You couldn't do better when those guys just basically won the lottery and got millions. You're still better off than everybody that got chosen during the NFL draft this week. And you're certainly better off than the ones that the Browns chose, but that's another story. But at any rate, <laughs> at any rate, grace and peace is a great story. And peace we know. Peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And peace carries with it the, 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 it, it carries with it the connotation or the idea of not just peace of mind, but it also carries with it the idea of confidence. I'm not just that peace. I'm also confident that God has my back. I just let, and I'm, I'm even going to stop there. I'm not even going to go any further than verse 2. Because grace and peace, we could just talk about that for weeks. Peace, peace means, you know, G- Jesus was so down on peace. Hebrew word shalom, shalom, shalom. It, it, it carries with it the idea that it is a, a serenity. It is a compassion but it is a confident, it's a confident resolve that God has this under control. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world giveth, give I thee. In other words, my peace supersedes the peace of the world. My peace is not temporary and it's not stingy. It's abundant peace. It's surpassing peace. It's everlasting peace. Just, just so many good, good verses I could give you on that. I mean, I just, I just love the, the whole concept that Jesus using, using this word, uh, these words actually inspiring Paul to use these words in tandem, grace and peace. I just think there's so much uh, for us to take away, and I and I pray, um, I pray that you will to study these. I, I I put in my just a couple of things I put in my notes that I wanted to share with you. Uh, the uh, the Hebrew word for 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 peace is shalom. I said, and I, and the, I put down in my notes here. I don't know if you got my notes. How many how many did not get notes that but would like notes? Okay, all right. So everybody, okay. Once this, I'll make sure you get some notes. After, after this message, the, uh, the Jews used the word shalom, and it didn't mean that there was uh, of absence of conflict the way, you know, like peace in the Middle East. The way the Jews used the word shalom in the Old Testament is well-being, 
Remember I told you peace wasn't just no conflict or no anything going on, it, uh, no war, no assault. It also means well-being, wholeness, inner tranquility. That's what peace means. So when the Lord says he has given to us grace and peace, that's what we should be walking in. And if you don't have that, if you don't have that grace and peace, it's not because it's not available to you. It's, not, it's because you are not accepting it. You are not absorbing it. You are not ex- or grabbing or taking hold of what God has for you. You can live like that. You say, well, how, Pastor? Well, I got this going on. I got that going on. We pray and we say, Lord, I am going to speak to you or speak your word back to you. Y'all listen to me? Listen to me. I'm going to say your word back to you as a means of declaration, as a means of stating your word so that I can hear myself say it. And I'm going to say it and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to say it and I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it and I'm going to walk in this reality that you have given me grace and you have given me peace and I believe you. It's a choice. We choose to be sad or we choose to be bitter or we choose to be resentful or we choose to be angry or we choose to be spiteful or vengeful. We choose to get back at somebody that's wronged us. We choose to retaliate. So we make that choice. So if you can choose to get after somebody or to get them back or to retaliate or to respond, you can choose also, Lord, but I accept your peace. I want to say this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to accept your peace. I want to do this to him, but I'm going to accept your peace. I want to get back, but I'm going to walk in your peace. I'm going to assume your peace. I'm going to put myself in the presence of your peace. I'm not going to do what I want to do, but I'm going to do what you want me to do. And you said that you will fight my battles. You said, vengeance is mine, said the Lord, I will repay. You said that you will take care of me and that all you will make my enemies my footstool. So I'm going to walk in those promises. I'm going to believe you and I'm not going to go the way I want to go, but I'm going to go the way you want me to go. My Monday morning moment. Next week, we're going to talk about God delivering us from suffering and affliction because that's what Paul was going through. And I, I, I thought I would get a little further, so my Monday morning moment is more on the lines of that, but it's still relative to what I just got through talking about with peace and grace. The Monday morning moment action step is this. When you find yourself in the trials of life, That is, when you're in the pits, when you're going through it, remember what God is to you, and that's grace. And remember what God does for you, that's peace. I like uh, what uh, Malcolm Smith, a great British Bible teacher, used to say. He used to say um, that God, he, he was referring to Psalms 23, he said that surely goodness and mercy, he said that 
goodness and mercy were like the Lord's little hound dogs that he had with him. And they were always going after us, sniffing us out, bringing us goodness and mercy. So I'm going to steal Malcolm Smith's line. Now, he's a preacher, and now he's no longer in Great Britain. He's in Texas now. I'm going to steal his line and say that I feel like in the New Testament, God's hound dogs are grace and peace. And God is always sending them to fetch us and bring us grace and peace. God always wants us to be under his grace, full of his peace. Under his grace, full of his peace. Boy, oh boy, let me tell you something. When you're in that position, you can do great things. You can do great things. So I'm going to read this last verse to you that goes with my Monday morning moment action step. And it's in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Turn to it, if you will, if you have your Bibles. If not, Ray will put it on the screen. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's us. We're the earthen vessels. So that the surpassing greatness. I love that. The surpassing greatness. It's greater than great. It's greater than, greater than anything we can imagine. The surpassing greatness of the power will be of God, not from ourselves. I love this. We are afflicted in every way. And who, who can't say that the devil doesn't try to slap us down and beat us up in every way possible? And listen, before I take my seat, I'm not so naive as to believe that everything is going to be hunky-dory all the time. And we're going to leave, live in a world of peace and serenity and quietness and everything's going to go our way. No, the reason I'm preaching this sermon more importantly, the reason that Paul wrote these words, ladies and gentlemen, is that he was in distress. He was getting beat up. He was under attack. Listen, listen. Come to Bible class on Wednesday sometime, because I, I hate to repeat myself, but the, the bottom line is this. Paul was being, I talked about all this on Wednesdays, the last three Wednesdays. Paul was being attacked in terms of the integrity of his ministry. There were people spreading vicious character assassination rumors within the church at Corinth that Paul didn't have the right to be a preacher. He was a fake apostle. He was a phony. He was usurping authority that he did not have and that he wasn't entitled to. They were saying that he wasn't a pastor, that he was a persecutor, that he didn't have the right to send us a letter of correction. They were just tearing him down. They were calling him false. They were calling him a phony and they were saying that he should not be honored as a preacher. That's why Paul started the letter out by saying, Paul, an apostle, by God, my credentials come from God. Say, look, guys, I ain't making this stuff up. I ain't graduated from no seminary. God called me to this ministry. God gave me this assignment. God appointed me to this position. I'm not making this stuff up. You see what I'm saying? They were attacking his integrity, and they were trying to get him deposed. And on top of that, they were inviting in false teachers, false preachers. They were listening to all kind of garbage and buying it hook, line, and sinker. They were accepting the, 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 the New Age teaching of their day. They were accepting the Oprah Winfrey's of their day. They were accepting all of the uh, paganism and polytheism of their day. 
And Paul is trying to write this whole second letter is to try to fix some of this ridiculousness, clean up his reputation, and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was going through. He was afflicted. Matter of fact, when, you, when we get on down the book in chapter 12, he said, I prayed three times. I had a thorn in my flesh. And he wasn't talking about no rosebush thorn. He wasn't talking about some little, you know, prick in his side. He was saying, I'm going through. We don't know if the situation that Paul was distressed about was physical. Some have suggested that he was going blind. Some have suggested that he had some sort of physical disability. Some have suggested that he was having some sort of emotional, mental attack. But whatever it was, we don't know. It's not important. The fact is, Paul said, I prayed three times, and I cried out, Lord, please take away this thorn in the flesh. And the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. You're going to get through this. I brought you to it. I'll bring you through it. And that was God's answer. And he did not deliver Paul. But he brought Paul through it. God may not always take our problems and issues and attacks and nemesis and enemies away. He may not always remove all the obstacles in our path. He may not always remove all of them. But what he will give us all collectively is the strength to overcome it. The strength to climb the mountain. The strength to get over the hurdle. The strength to deal with that unruly neighbor or co-worker or that boss that you cannot stand or that issue that you're going through financially. God will give us the wherewithal internally and externally to get over it. He doesn't always move everything. He doesn't always make everything disappear. Sometimes he just gives us strength to just prevail. Just step over some things, step on some things, kick some things out the way, muscle through some things. Sometimes it ain't about the thing, it's about us. It ain't about how tough the obstacle is, it's about how tough we are. Amen. So my prayer to God is like, Lord, okay, Lord, I really want you to move it. God never did move Nathan Redwine, but he brought me to Cleveland. <laughs> Nathan was still in St. Louis, but he brought me to Cleveland. Thank God. Amen. <laughs> I know I use that example. I beat it to death. What if I don't know if Nathan ever tunes into our website or Facebook or iTunes to hear these sermons, but he's all up in it. But the point is that God doesn't always move the obstacle, but God can fortify us and give us the strength to power through it. And come out victorious. Mm. So in conclusion, this verse says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. I love that. St. Corinthians 4, 7. It goes on to say, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not destroyed. Always persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus Christ, so that the life of Jesus might be manifested in our body. For we are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Boy, oh boy. Aren't, aren't y'all glad we serve that kind of God? Woo. 
that's 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. We're going to get to 2 Corinthians 4. That's going to be good. I love that. I love that. We, are, we, we may be crushed. I mean, I mean, we may be afflicted, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Boy, we need a better, you know, we, we, we need, you know what? We need, we, I love these banners, but I think I'm going to find a way to get some more. We need to just have that up here. We need to let, we need to just have, have that, that we're persecuted, but not forsaken. That we're struck down, but not destroyed. Just, just reminding ourselves constantly. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Son of God. But inside of us, we also have that same power to reign supreme and be victorious. Amen? We're just not going to go down like this. We're not going out like this. We're going to man up. We're going to woman up. We're going to be strong. We're going to be victorious. I'm just tired of the devil getting advantage over us and beating us up and slapping us around and taking us down and taking us out. It just shouldn't be this way. Jesus didn't die for us to be wimps. He didn't die for us to be losers. He didn't do that. The L should be standing for love, not loser. Okay, so I just saw dodgeball the other night. So, okay, it's fresh. But still, we love, we are lovers of God, and he is lovers of us. Amen? Amen. All right. Y'all been good. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this first Sunday of May, May 1st. We just ask you to bless us this week. Keep us faithful and strong this week. Keep us encouraged this week. Help us to remember these words from this sermon this week. Help us to remember the words, more importantly, from your word this week in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That is your grace and your mercy that's watching over us, that's encompassing us, that's building a fence around us, that's being a source of protection over us. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.